Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Well, if you've looked on the back side of the bulletin yet, you might have noticed from the various passages listed in the bulletin that we're going to spend some time in the Bible this morning. Now, when we read the Bible together, we, we often enter the text at different levels, right? Sometimes our focus is on a single word, right? It's as if, as if that word was a key. It could open our mind to some form of truth. Other times we step back a little, we, we pick at a short story, we search the plot line or the characters for some relevant truth. Then from time to time we, we step back even further and we search for meaning of an entire book, right? Or, or, or the entire lifespan of a character. Today we zoom out even more. Today's not about a particular word, book, or character. Today's not about refuting seven ancient and contextually insignificant passages. Today's about bearing witness to the radical, unconditional, inclusive love that is found throughout the entire Bible. We're going on a, a little bit of a journey from the first book to the very last, stopping for a second to smell the love so don't blink. We're going to move quickly. And to get started, I suggest, as I often do, we start at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. Our Bible, it opens with a remarkable poem of creation, a lyrical telling of the tale of how humanity came to be, lovingly placed in a perfect garden we're introduced to Adam and Eve. The Hebrew word Adam, it gets its meaning from the word Adama, which means earth or dirt. Adam, the name of our figurative first human, means earthling, humankind, or, or simply humanity. This poetic pair, they don't represent a divinely sanctioned binary approach to gender or a a heteronormative approach to marriage, they, they literarily represent all of us, humanity. They represent everyone who has ever been and who will still be to come. This pair, their, their beginning, their genesis, it, it reminds us that humans are no more than dust, that we all come from the same particles of dirt, and yet, and this is a big end yet, <laughs> The Spirit of God breathes life into each and every one of us. Not because of, of the dirt. We are found special. We are found good because of the love and the life that is in us. And then the poem continues. After stepping back from all that she had made, God looks on creation, right? Looks upon every last one of us and not, not only says that we're good, but that we're supremely good like in our core, right? Like, like the way we're wired, the way we sing, the way we dance, 
the way we identify and understand ourselves, the way we love, the way we are loved, it's, it's all good, good, good. It's all supremely good. And hear this part. Your goodness isn't tied up in, in, in the approval uh, of anyone. Right? It's not tied up in a parent's approval, a spouse's approval, a pastor, priest, or pope's approval. Truthfully, your goodness isn't even tied up in your own ability to believe it or approve of it. Right? God has proclaimed each and every one of you supremely good, so own it. Enjoy it. Try to live into it. You are the supremely good creation of a God who is love. And that's just the beginning. The story continues. The Old Testament is filled with story after story of God's love and faithfulness. Thousands of years of God taking the most unlikely characters and doing the most extravagant things. With Noah and his family, God paints a rainbow in the sky and establishes a new covenant a new way of interacting with humanity, a new loving promise. As the text says, right, the text says the rainbow is a symbol between God and every living being that they all should get to live a life free from the fear of divine violence and destruction. It's God's promise that that's not how things are going to work anymore. Every living being, everything and everyone who has breath and, and spirit and life inseparably, inseparably joined together in a loving promise symbolized by the stitching together of every single color in the sky. Now we can't tell all the tales as the story of humanity, it's a long one. But we must tell the tale of the divine becoming human. Through the birth pains of an unwed teenager, God began to breathe like all other humans breathe. Every Christmas, we're reintroduced to Jesus, Emmanuel, the God that is with us. Love incarnate, love made real. In Jesus, we see this radical love on full display. We watch Jesus surround himself with people that the world often pass by. We see him welcome sex workers to dinner, right? Despise tax collectors over for lunch. We watch him walk up to lepers and the, the unclean, touch them, hold them, join them in their humanity. And not only was he a loving presence amidst a world of, of division, he was also a great teacher, Offering eternal words like, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my follower if you love one another. Following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into the sky, it still took the early church a bit of time to figure out how wide-reaching God's love really was. The Spirit filled the apostles with love, 
joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And immediately, things began to change. They found themselves surrounded by a great crowd of people who came from different places and all spoke different languages. I'm trying to keep it going for the sake of the recording. In the very first days of the church, Philip befriends an Ethiopian eunuch on the road out of Jerusalem. By all traditional accounts, this man had no right to enter the family of faith. The biblical laws prohibited from, for him from even entering the sacred buildings, let alone becoming a member of the community. Because one, he was a foreigner, but even more so because he was a eunuch. The laws of old may have known the part of the story, but they couldn't keep up. They couldn't keep pace with the, lay, the way love was going to break down all barriers and separations. Philip, on the other hand, was guided by the Spirit, and so when the eunuch dared to say, look, water, what stands between me and being baptized? Instead of saying, well, the word of God stands between you and being baptized, Philip dared to break the status quo, right? Break from the restrictions of the law, break from the biases of other believers, and Philip stopped the chariot immediately and baptized him. Slowly but surely, the church began to figure out how radically the game had changed. They learned what unbiased, unafraid love looked like. Well, in the house of a well-known Gentile or foreigner, Peter, the rock on which Jesus built the church, said, Now you are well aware that it's against our laws for a Jew to even associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. This is radical stuff, folks. From the very first days of the early church, these untrained fishermen disciples are so filled with the spirit of love that they're pushing back on anything and everything that gets in the way. How crazy is it that from a religious legal system that struggled to make room for foreigners came a church whose very first baptized members were Samaritans, Ethiopians, Roman soldiers, and eunuchs. And this movement's just getting started. This elevation of love above all other things, it catches fire in the early house churches. And it catches fire in the hearts of the earliest pastors. These pastors begin circulating letters, right? Letters throughout the known world, like Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, saying profound things like, if I speak in the tongues of, of humans or even of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal at best. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but, but I do not have love, I still gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's a clear message to the church in every age that, that they can have the best programs, budgets, choirs, thrones to th stones to throw, <laughs> buildings. But without genuine love of neighbor, it, it all means nothing. It's the anthem of this movement claiming that any theology, ideology, public opinion that does not promote radical, unconditional, and inclusive love well, is just another, another heresy, another fallacy, an ego-driven position of weakness and fear. But it's not just the Apostle Paul. In the fourth chapter of John's first letter, we're shaken even more by these words. We'll see how that goes. Hear these words from John's letter. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, they're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's not a surprise that these early church gatherings caused quite a stir. Singing, praying, eating at the same table with men and women, children and elders, Jews and foreigners, even sla slaves were invited to the same table as landowners. This whole thing started to push back on, on established gender norms, on established socioeconomic norms. The radical idea that everyone is welcome and loved becomes a problem. It becomes fighting words for those who have invested everything in, in throwing and controlling exclusive parties. And so it should also be no surprise that these early agents and teachers of love, these early church members and pastors were harassed 
oppressed, persecuted, even in, in some cases executed. Radical love, like claiming a rainbow promise in a garden, it draws attention in a world that lacks hope and dignity and creativity. And friends, this movement all comes together in one beautiful but radical vision in the book of Revelations where an infinitely diverse family of faith gathers before God. We read, after this I looked, and there was a great crowd that, had, that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and, and to the Lamb. And then all the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. From the beginning of our Bible to the very last page, we have a truth, we have a, a line of truth that penetrates each verse, presenting a, a divided world that God is constantly gathering up. The spirit that has brought us to life and, and is inside us, it cries out a message of love. That's what it's all about. Letting our goodness, our Godness come out. Our very bones know that love is the only way forward. And friends, that's the only reason I do what I do. That's the only reason I'm here today, to bear witness, to, to testify to God's radical, unconditional, and inclusive love for every living being. Right, every LGBTQIA, and you know what the plus stands for, right? It stands for everyone. Everyone, 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 even Target is caught on at this point. Everyone, everyone, everyone. In just a second, you're going to be invited to sing a closing song. You may or may not recognize it, but I encourage you to lean into it. I know the asterisk tells you you have to stand, but feel free to belt it out and stand. Feel free to sit and take it in. Let it move you. Let the Spirit speak through it and maybe even speak to you. Ultimately, I encourage you to hear it and internalize it. It's a call to align ourselves with this story of love that we're a part of, to, a, to align ourselves with the courageous leaders of the early church call to bear witness, to testify to, to love. In the meantime, I leave you with the closing words of Paul to this radical little church in Ephesus. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, that God may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you 
being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge itself, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the Spirit's power that is at work within us, to that God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
friends, at this part of the service, as we always do, I invite you to hold the hand of someone next to you. Kids, don't fill up on pretzels because there's an ice cream truck. <laughs> <laughs> 